Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So what do we do now? What do we do now? That's sort of the question that I'm asking myself this morning. It's a common question. I think it's one that most of us ask after big events take place in our lives. What do we do now? If you're married or if you have been married, think back to when uh, the wedding service ended. The reception was over. You've flown across the world and back from your honeymoon, and as you walk through the doors of your home with your new spouse, you say to yourself or maybe to the other person, well, what now? What's next? So much planning, so much time and energy and money and money. Let's not forget about the money. Lots of things going into a wedding day, but, but now what? What do we do now? Or if you have any children, Think back to when they were born, especially if you have more than one child and that first child. 2 a.m. rolls around and it's time. The baby is coming. Your spouse or partner or parent or friend, they grab the hospital bag that's already packed. You get into the car as fast as you can. You make sure the car seat is nice and snug and in place and you race off to the hospital. Once you get there, they tell you to be calm, to, to breathe, that everything is going to be okay as they hook you up to monitors and wires and other medical equipment and then after many intense hours the baby arrives a couple of days later assuming mother and baby are okay they come to your room and they let you know that it is time to go home and if this was your first child you probably start to negotiate with them you mean i can't just stay a couple of more days here safe in the hospital you say Can you just go over that checklist one more time so that I can make sure I know what I'm supposed to do when I get home? And then after that long, slow ride home, you want to make sure that everyone's safe in the back seat. You finally get there. What do we do now, you say to yourself? And then you pick up your phone and call your mother or your mother-in-law and someone else and ask them what these strange noises are that your two-day-old is now making. What do we do now? Graduation day arrives. You've, you've made it. Your family has traveled in. You've got your cap and your gown ready to go. Everything is packed up in the dorm. Maybe you know what's next, law school or medical school, seminary, and internship on the hill. Or maybe you're unsure. You're still waiting to hear back from that school where you've been waitlisted. Or, or maybe you just, you just don't know what's next, and so you've decided to move back home for a bit or to move into a basement apartment with four or five of your best friends. The commencement service begins, you listen to the celebrity that they've brought in to give the address, you walk across the stage to get your diploma, and as you make your way back to your seat, you start to ask yourself, well, what do I do now? It's a common question. What now? What what next? Where do we go from here? And I think it's the the question that the church has been asking and wrestling with for, for a couple thousand years. What do we do after Easter? This is, as you know, the third Sunday of the Easter season. You all are good Episcopalians, and so you know that Easter isn't just one day, but a 50-day season. But, But outside these walls, outside of this church, everyone else has moved on. Easter is over, they say. Good luck finding any half-priced Easter candy at the grocery stores. People like me swooped in on Easter Monday and grabbed all that we could. 
But here in the church, it's, it's still Easter. We're still making our Easter acclamation. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Our, our tall, beautiful Paschal candle is, is still out. It's still lit. It's still reminding us of the light of Christ that dispels all darkness. But what now? What, what do we do after Easter? I think that must have been what, what the disciples were asking themselves after they discovered that the tomb was empty. The formerly dead but now resurrected Jesus has appeared to them, shown them the marks in his hands, the gash in his side. He's alive. He is not dead. And, and now what? What are the disciples to do? Today we find out in the gospel reading. Or in the 21st chapter of John's gospel account this morning, most, most biblical scholars and commentators don't think that this chapter is original to John's gospel and that it was added at some later date, and that's, that's okay. John's gospel, they say, almost certainly ends with the story that we heard last week, the story of doubting Thomas. The last two verses are, of chapter 20 are almost certainly the last words of the original gospel. This is what we heard last week. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. That's the end of John's gospel. But today, today we hear the postscript, the epilogue. It seems that the resurrected Jesus still had a bit more to say. And so John tells us that he shows up again. This time, he's at the Sea of Tiberias, sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, where, where seven of his disciples are gathered. They've just had an encounter with the risen Christ in chapter 20. He appears to them while they are in a locked room. And now, now what do they do? They decide to go back to what they know to go back to their former lives, to what they were doing before Jesus called them. They take up their nets, they head to the boat, and they go out fishing. And these seasoned professional fishermen catch nothing. All night long they fish, and by the time that the sun rises, their nets are still empty. And then Jesus appears. They don't recognize him at first, but, but he's there. Try the other side, he yells to them from the shore. Throw your, throw your nets out over the right side of the boat. I bet you'll find some fish over in that part of the water. And so the tired, frustrated, ready-to-give-up disciples, they listen to the man calling to them from the sandy, rocky shore. And, and sure enough, after they throw the net over the right side of the boat, it starts to fill. One fish, two fish, ten fish, twenty fish, fifty fish. They, they catch so many fish that they have a hard time getting them back to shore. John tells us that there are 153 fish in all. That's how many they catch that day. They've failed all night at fishing, and then someone, someone out in the distance gives them a good tip. And I wonder, as I, as I read and as I hear this story, if, if their minds started to think back to another time, back to the very first time that they had met Jesus. There was another time they had fished all night and failed then too. We hear about that fishing trip in Luke chapter 5. After that long night, Luke says, they, they also caught nothing. They just had bruised hands and aching bodies from working the nets all night. And then Jesus comes and says, throw out, throw out the nets again. I think I see some fish, some fish over there out in the deep waters. And Luke says that they draw in so many fish that their nets start to break and they have to call over another boat to help them with their catch. Hasn't all this happened before? I think they probably are asking themselves. And then that's when they see him. That's when they recognize Jesus. 
It is the Lord, they say. And Simon Peter, Simon Peter, he's naked for some reason. I'm not sure why, but he, he puts on some clothes, and I'm sure that makes the other disciples happy. He puts on his clothes, he jumps into the water, and as he goes to the shore, he greets Jesus. And Jesus says that it's time to eat. Come and have breakfast. And just as before, we're told that he, he takes the fish, he breaks the bread, he fills their hungry bodies, he feeds their hungry souls. You all heard the rest of the story. After all of the food has been eaten, after the breakfast conversation about love is over, Jesus speaks to his disciples one last time in John's Gospel account. And he just uses two words. He just says to them, follow me. So what are we to do now? What are we to do after Easter? Easter morning is such a, a high point in the life of the church, and that's especially true here at St. John's Church. We prepare for it with a 40-day season of penitence and fasting. In the last week, in the final days leading up to Easter, we gather again to hear about Jesus' Last Supper with His disciples, his, his new commandment to love. On Good Friday, we hear about His arrest, His crucifixion, His death, His burial in a tomb. And then, and then on Easter Sunday morning, we move from the darkness of the tomb to the light of the resurrection as we shout out, Alleluia! Christ is risen. But what do we do now? For many of us, for many of us, it's back to life as before, back to our routines, back to our jobs, back to school, back to the worries and troubles of the world. Those Lenten disciplines that we took on back in February, prayer and study of Scripture and fasting, for many of us, they're, they're shelved until the next Lent. Has anything really changed? Is anything really different now than it was before? Let's, let's just go back to fishing, we say. Let's just go back to what we know. But if we're paying attention, if we're looking out in the distance, if we're looking out at the seashore, we might just catch a glimpse of that very same Jesus that those first disciples saw. Jesus, the, the resurrected one, standing there calling out to each one of us. For I think that's the, the good news of Easter. Jesus comes to us where we are. We often talk in the church a whole lot about our faith, about faith being a, a journey. We're journeying toward God. We're journeying toward Christ. We're journeying toward our heavenly reward. We're the ones on the journey, we say, and that's all good and that's all true. But the opposite of that is just as true, maybe even more so. God in Christ is journeying toward us. That's the message of the Scriptures, God coming to us over and over and over again. God coming into the world to live among us. God coming to us, calling to us, giving us another chance, another opportunity, another day. He comes to us where we are. Christ seeks us out and speaks the same words that He spoke when He came to His first disciples. He says to us, follow me. Follow me. My favorite preacher, and I'll end with this, my favorite preacher is a, a man named Fred Craddock. He was a Disciples of Christ pastor from the, the mountains of East Tennessee who died a few years ago. Dr. Craddock once preached a, a sermon about a $10,000 bill. Not a, a bill for $10,000, but a, a piece of currency worth $10,000. This is what he said. He said, suppose you have a $10,000 bill. Wow, he said. Look at that, a, a $10,000 bill. But he said, after several days of admiring it, being in awe of it, showing it off to your friends, what do you do with it? You don't go to coffee and say, here, I'll just take care of it with this $10,000 bill. 
You don't say, let me pay for the hot dogs with this $10,000 bill because no one will take that from you. That $10,000 bill, he said, will only have meaning after you have changed it into a sack full of 10s and 20s. That $10,000 bill, he said, will only have meaning after you've changed it into a sack full of concrete acts of grace. So what do we do now? We can get back into our boats. We can go back to our routines. We can go back to life just as it was before that glorious Easter morning. Or we can feed Christ's sheep. We can put grace and hope, light and life into action. It's up to each one of us to decide what it is that we want to do. We can take all that we've been given, all that we've received, and go out into the world as a a changed, a forgiven, a renewed people. Or we can just go back to fishing. What will you do now? Today, today Jesus says to each one of us, whenever you're ready, whenever you are ready, whenever you're ready, follow me. Amen. Let us stand and profess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.